0: Welcome to B.I.V. Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from B.I.V.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we have our weekly tech discussion. We'll quantify the world's biggest shopping day. We'll look at whether Facebook CEO owes Canadian politicians an explanation. And we'll also discuss the concept of deep fakes. You're listening to B.I.V. Today. Alibaba's Singles Day brought in a record amount of revenue. Merchandise volumes hit about 31 billion US in a 24-hour period. With me to talk about this and our other tech stories is Linda Fokas, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. This is the 10-year anniversary of Singles Day and interestingly a record amount of sales, but growth is starting to slow. What does that signal to you? Is this kind of a maturing Point have they tackled the market as best as they can in terms of growth?
1: Well, I understood that the growth might be slowing on these Singles Days because the real estate market's slowing down, so the big-ticket items aren't being purchased over mm-hmm. uh, during this event. It also looks like people are getting a little bit um, frustrated with the promotions and the hoops you have to jump through to save ten percent. And uh, Alibaba has some competition now at the low end of their market, so perhaps those are things that are making it peter out a little bit Uh, and maybe 10 years is a good run. Maybe that's just now time to track it over a week or a longer period of time than 24 hours. But 30 billion is (laughs) twice as much as Cyber Monday, the uh, Friday, what is the Black Black Friday Friday? and the Amazon Prime. So all those together times two is what they did in this event. That's crazy. It's amazing. And of course, we're increasingly
0: talking about Alibaba here in North America, but it, It's not as big in terms of a consumer experience yet, I don't think. Do you think we'll be talking more about Alibaba than Amazon, say, or Cyber Monday or Black Friday at any point?
1: I think we will as soon as when you search, uh, how can I buy stuff on Alibaba? And the first things that pop up are not how you're getting scammed. It is a real scam world here still. So until we have trust in that uh, digital network they have created... um, I don't think we're going to be using it over Amazon anytime soon. I know I'm not. I mm-hmm. mean, you just you can get scammed on Amazon, don't get me wrong, but Alibaba is a is a a fraught place. You need to be careful about how you're buying over there. Keeping in mind all they're doing is creating the digital aisles for all these uh resellers to put their products, right? They don't have as much invested in the actual product side and the customer side as Amazon does cuz mm-hmm. Amazon is In the real world and in the Amazon world. Now the new world with Alibaba is they're trying to connect over into the real world. So they're trying to make this move away from digital only into the physical world. So perhaps their trust issues will be allayed as they figure that out.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. And we talk here in the U.S. this battle between Amazon and Walmart, kind of the two rival Mm -hmm. e-commerce companies from different backgrounds. Do you think Alibaba could be a real contender here? Yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think they will be a real contender here. This uh Singles Day was a they spread into three new regions for them as a test. Um I believe they will figure it out in in the world, in North America, Amazon and Walmart, we talk about them going head to head, but Amazon really owns that digital space there. Mm-hmm. Walmart owns the stores. So that'll merge in some sort of battle. And Alibaba will pop in and disrupt it all again, I'm sure.
0: Do you think there's enough market share for Amazon to really move into new markets that are maybe dominated by Alibaba? Could we see it going that way?
1: I think that the, yeah, Amazon, yes, I'm stuttering here, my answer, because I had to think about that. Yeah, yeah. Alibaba and Amazon will be going head to head. How that will sort of uh, balance itself out within the borders of China will be an interesting thing Mm -hmm. to to determine, but it's going to be a, a real disruptor when they get here, mm-hmm. and Amazon is no longer our only real reasonable big option for easy delivery of digital online pro- online shopping, right? And um, you know, Alibaba makes it easy when you're in their system and you're buying; it's all very easy. It's free returns, free shipping, twenty-four-seven uh, ordering, etc. So, um, it they have a great shot at upsetting Amazon here. But again, it's that trust issue. We're not quite there yet.
0: Yeah, fair enough. That's gonna be an interesting one to watch. Our next story is about Facebook, the UK, Canada, Australia, Ireland, Argentina, had all asked Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg to appear before a joint hearing on online disinformation. He declined, which I don't think is very surprising. But do you think that was the right response?
1: Yes. It was. What? I think it was the right response by Facebook. I think Mr. Zuckerberg has had enough um, of time in front of the committees. He's talked to the U.S. He's talked to the EU. Uh, Facebook wants to control this story. They want to make sure it's not going to get out of hand. And so therefore, why would what is to gain for Facebook in putting him in front of this panel of the what is it? Britain, Canada, Argentina and mm-hmm. Ireland. Um they don't really have anything to gain. They've done everything they need to do. Any work that's going to be done in this nation state trying to control Facebook is going to happen behind the scenes anyway. So um, I'm sure their comms and legal people said it's just, it's uh, fraught with peril. We don't need to do it.
0: It's interesting because there has been mounting pressure on the political side amongst these governments, but also on the public side too. I think people want answers and he has appeared before committees and given some answers, but seems like there's the sentiment that 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 hasn't been good enough
1: well we've got the two courts right we've got the the law courts and we have the court of public opinion and i don't think the court of public opinion cares anymore Mm -hmm. i mean if people cared they would be voicing it their opinions more loudly perhaps even on the facebook platform but i really think facebookers have moved on they're kind of assuming facebook's going to do the right thing and make the fake news easier to spot and the platform more transparent but um sadly I believe people have moved on a little quicker than we would perhaps like them to.
0: Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's partly because as a consumer what
1: what are your options? You can delete your account. That's right. And or- <laughs> and and a lot of people this is their a key way to communicate for a lot of people yeah. and they don't want to give it up. And you know it's an interesting thing to look at there was an MIT study on on Twitter over the last 10 years and how people use Twitter and the dissemination of fake news over real news, 19 times more likely for us to share fake news over real Mm. news. Um, So these are platforms that let us share these stories and share things easily. And humans are, we're storytellers. We want to be sharing with each other what we've learned and look at this amazing thing and look what I'm doing here. And, And there is no other way to make that happen outside of Facebook. And people love it, obviously. So they are therefore very forgiving of the failings of the platform.
0: Mm-hmm. There's also research that shows, too, how addictive it is, the notifications, the way it's
1: structured, the way things pop up. It's hard to kind of let that go. It is. but I And I also, I'd like to see the demographics because the generational splits that I see in my very unscientific um, surveys is the younger kids. My son's 19, 20 years old, second year university. His tribe doesn't use it in any addictive way. They use the direct messaging aspect of it. They create groups to organize mm-hmm. when to get together for basketball or something. Um, so Facebook for them isn't a big medium. Um, but my nephews who are in their late 20s, they're all Facebook. Like it is a big deal for them. They do everything on Facebook. And then I see the older people, the over 50s, and there's that tribe is quite split. Really, really, really connected to it. And then people who just use it to creep relatives. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting platform that's going away no time soon. Um, but I think we have these demographic segments that are really addicted to it. And these other segments that simply don't care much about it. I happen to fall into the latter. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned earlier, what does Facebook have to gain by appearing before additional hearings? What do you think the governments have to gain in this scenario by piling onto a joint push to get Zuckerberg? What what do you think they're going through?
1: Uh, I think they're looking for their election cycles and some political uh, maneuvering to let their public know that they are on top of this issue. And they have to ask, we have to insist that Mr. Zuckerberg appear, we have to show our people that we care that this uh, really important issue um, is something we're taking seriously. So they had no choice but to ask and no choice but to convene these panels. um, And that's what they have to gain from it. I don't believe that anybody goes into those uh, committees thinking anything's actually going to get done. It is a bit for show. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. I think we saw a lot of senators grandstanding during the hearings in the summer. And that was probably a big part of uh, the reason they did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I'm curious, too, where does this leave governments in their power to address this issue? If you don't have a CEO coming to speak to you, if they say they're handling it, it's an American company, although a multinational company in operations where does this leave a government of Canada or a government of the UK on their own to do anything about
1: these issues? I think that's the bigger question here. It is a really difficult question as well because these governments control what happens you know, within our borders, but these social networks, of course, are global entities. And so if the governments are going to try to make change on these platforms or force change on these platforms, my expectation is that will happen very quietly behind the scenes. And that change is going to be affected across all the all the committee areas, right? That's going to be the EU, it's going to be North America and Asia, etc. So these are, I, I'm imagining deals that will be crafted quietly. And Facebook will agree to roll out certain features that everybody agrees is important. But I don't mm. believe that will happen in a public environment.
0: Why behind the scenes in this case. And then also you have the, the very public facing component of wanting to appear like you're tackling the issue.
1: So Facebook needed to be in front of the EU and they had to be in front of the Senate. Um, and they don't have to be anywhere else. Mm. I don't think it, this is no offense to the the digital United Nations that Canada and their people are trying to create. But it's, it's, it's a bit late and it's kind of feels like old news. And um, and they're trying, which is important, but it's just not a conversation Facebook needs to be part of now. And now they're going to send their CTO or their chief product officer, sure. which is super smart because now the conversation is going to become very technical and the questions will be answered in probably quite technical ways that nobody will understand. And then it'll be over. So it's a smart move. And to keep Zuckerberg contained and on focused on what he needs to be focused on is is wise because there's nothing he can add. There's no gain for him in this situation. He's done his work.
0: By the way, what do you think of the idea of a digital United Nations of sorts? Needed? I effective? think it is
1: very needed. I think that boundaries or borders, sorry, don't re- don't exist, obviously, in these spaces. Mm. We need to come to a consensus on how we want to deal with what the impact these social networks are having on our global community and the issue of fake content, real news, fake news. These are not... Um, whimsical, interesting ideas to bat around. These are changing the way these governments are elected, the way these nations are being governed. It's a horrifying world we're walking into. So I think a digital United Nations of sorts is quite important to ensure that we're keeping these companies in line with our goals and our values, and ensuring that there's no um, difference in the way they operate in, in the jurisdictions that they're running in
0: on the topic of fake news let's leave off on this final story and that would be deep fakes The Guardian had an analytical piece on on this concept. It was new to me and it seems relatively new. We talk a lot about fake news but this idea that it's deeper and more insidious and harder harder to actually identify it walk me through if you can like what is a
1: deep fake? So it's so amazing. So we grew up in a time when computer graphic effects, that was where I cut my teeth in technology, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to put an actor's face on an an animated body or on another piece of video. Uh, Photoshop is what we all know is how we alter images. But we're talking now, instead of having super expensive computer-generated effect companies spend hundreds of thousands of dollars putting Princess Leia's face on um, princess leia's body in the news in the star wars rogue one series for instance um you can use an app you being you with an average computer fake app is the name of the app and uh, there's a I'll go online and google it you'll see i use princess leia as the example because you'll see the face that is done with the fake app compared to the face that was done with the high-end computer graphic effect and it's hard to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. So we are now in a time when this basic technology that's available right off the internet, basically for free, um, you can take anyone's face and put it on any video, anyone's body in any scene. And these are video clips that look I- completely real. And of course, the porn industry since beginning of this year has had a lot of fun with this and made a lot of money off of this. Um, Celebrity images are being pasted all over the place. Nicolas Cage is now Mm. everywhere. Uh, People are taking whole movies and putting Nicolas Cage's face on every character in the movie. I don't know why. (laughs) Nicolas Cage memes on everything. Mm and that's only because there's enough data for for the celebrity faces for the AI artificial intelligence en- engines to use those celebrity faces. Right. There's not enough of my face in the world for them to do it with me yet. Um, but so that's what this deep fake is doing. It's uh, making the medium of video, which we used to be able to trust. Of course, it's a video, therefore it's real. Uh, And now it's not. It is as easy to Photoshop as an image.
0: Which I find particularly concerning, one, from a privacy aspect. You're the person whose face is now everywhere. That's very concerning if it appears to be using and doing things. But from a consumer perspective, how are you supposed to be able to identify this is the actual actor, this is the actual politician, and this is... A a deep fake.
1: That's right. You can't identify it. And if you Google some deep fake videos right now, you'll look at them and you'll see there are times, there's a good one of Obama, and you'll see it it looks fake because you're looking for it. It's like, all right, I guess I could see that that's fake. Mm -hmm. But now add the layer on the Adobe VoCo technology. And what you can do with that technology is now take someone's voice in a conversation. You and I have a conversation. It gets recorded. This software will use AI to create Um, You having a conversation from any words I type in. And we match that now to the deep fake video. And now Obama is saying his mouth is moving in the proper way. He's saying anything I type in. Mm -hmm. So we have this, um, the video of people uh, saying, doing things. And then we have actually the video of these people um, seemingly talking. To us, so it is becoming, and this is new technology. This has only been out for Mm -hmm. a short while. So imagine what's going to happen in a few years when we can't tell the difference. And so now we have to decide how are we going to lock down the truth of these of this video content. And I presume it's going to be a blockchain conversation of some kind. But it it's become critical because we we like to spread words on Twitter about uh, false news. Imagine what it's going to be when you see videos that look so real, and you can't tell if it's real or not. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very disturbing. I see a lot of bad possibilities here. Some good ones for Hollywood. It's going to be cheaper to make movies, sure. but and gaming environments, but. Um challenging. I
0: remember in elementary school, Wikipedia was relatively new, and it was very clear. Our Teachers told kids, you can't just go to Wikipedia and cite Wikipedia as a source. And I think about for the next generation, that's going to automatically be a digital native, but a digital native growing up in a time where you have this kind of technology out there. What kind of skills are you going to be able to have to try and combat this and be a critical thinker, because I think that's going to be needed at increasingly younger ages.
1: Absolutely. And I wonder if the concept of a digital watermark, again, based on some sort of blockchain um, infrastructure that is able to prove the truth and the veracity of a video, as it's coming right out of the camera, some people Mm -hmm. are saying, but these digital watermarks, digital signatures on this content, perhaps that is a way uh, we verify immediately that what we 're looking at is real,
0: mm-hmm. and if it
1: doesn't have the digital watermark we 're going to guess it 's fake. maybe that 's the way we do it. Um, a lot of smart people uh having this conversation right now, but again, my son, you know his second year sciences at u b c they're trained to not be looking at wikipedia you 've got to really dive into your sources, and I asked him this question: how would you tell if the video is fake? And his first take is the digital watermark. You'd have to find mm-hmm. out somehow, um, easily, hopefully it's a visual watermark, where this te- where this video came from. And that um, that is technology that has not been perfected yet.
0: No, it's a scary world. <laughs> a scary it's a transformative world. time. It yeah. is going
1: to be really interesting, especially in journalism over the next few oh, years. Yeah. What is going to happen over these election cycles? It's, it's uh, a very scary world. Yeah. Linda, as always, thanks so much for coming on the show
0: and joining me. That's Linda Fawkes, founder and CEO of Glue Technology Society. That's it for our show. Thank you for listening to BIV today. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Share our show on social media. You can listen to episodes and read more business news at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening.